0: About the fruit of the Spirit, that's coming out of our inner man. It can't come out of the innermost being of someone who is not born again. Why? Because it's a nature change that's causing that to grow naturally in their life. And so, this redemption that God has worked in us when He not only forgave us of our sins. But he also changed our nature. He gave us life so we're no longer under the spiritual death. We are alive unto God. We have a new nature so we can live out the life that God has given us. And we can live it out successfully. We can live it out with the liberty and the blessing of God operating in our life. Another thing that happened when Adam and Eve fell was not just to them. We've talked about what happens to us individually. But the curse entered into the planet. The curse entered into the planet and they began to have to live their life in a different way to deal with the curse that was operating in the earth. In Christ, we are... Brought out of the system of the world. We are no longer under the authority of darkness. We are now translated into the kingdom, the kingdom of His dear Son. In the kingdom of God, we don't have to permit the curse in any way, shape, or form. We, do, we can live a kingdom lifestyle with kingdom benefits, with kingdom foundations and kingdom results in our life. We're not subject to the curse. Amen. Just because we live in the cursed earth doesn't mean our house has to fall under what the curse is doing. Our family doesn't have to fall under control of what the curse is doing the curse can do what it does but not in my house the curse can do what it does but not in my finances the curse can do what it does but not in my body why because we're authorized in christ to resist the curse and to and to to authorize the blessing it's not going to happen without your resistance it's not going to happen without your authorization of the blessing. You're going to, have to, you're going to have to demand the blessing. Not from God, but from the situation. No, 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 no. no, that's, not what, no that's not how you're going to act, situation. Right. Listen here, finances. You're not going to struggle. We are under the blessing, and in the blessing, we thrive, we flourish, we have more than enough, I'm a giver. It is given unto me, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I am blessed going in. I am blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the basket. These blessings are are overtaking me. Hallelujah. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And and let's let's establish why. Because I've told you about the resistance, but you've got to have enough spiritual recognition of why you're redeemed from the curse, why the curse is required to back off when you resist it. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at Jesus, and we'll begin in this, conversation let's begin in verse 4 of hebrews 10 for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin why are we talking about the blood of bulls and goats i don't know about you but i've never personally sacrificed a bull or a goat but and so when i came to know jesus as my lord i thought this was odd And I thought it was very strange when they started talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and the blood sacrifices and they had to bring an offering every year. But it does benefit us to know why. Remember what I said. God had to cover Adam and Eve with the animal skins. That's the first reference to bloodshed. To the blood being shed to cover their sinful condition. Cain his offering wasn't received, Abel's was. Why? Abel brought a blood offering, and that's what God had instructed evidently. We know that God instructed further in the, New, in the Old Testament to bring sacrifices of blood. That's what gives me the, the indication that that's what he instructed of, of Abel. We don't have specifically, but he said if you would do well, you would be accepted to Cain. And what Cain brought was the first of his flock. He brought of the blood, and that blood is something we see in every offering of people who were interacting with God in a covenant relationship from that point on. Noah, the very first thing, Noah took more than just two of every animal. Noah took two of every animal and all of the acceptable sacrifice animals. He took enough so that when the, when the ark landed again, I have offerings to give. That Talk about offering preparation right there. I've got to make room for two of every animal, plus we've got to have room for our offering animals because we're not going to come out of this storm without something to honor God. And the very first thing he did on that, that, that earth after the waters had subs- had subsided was... Offer a sacrifice to the Lord. So when he said it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. God had been practicing the lesson of substitution with his people for years. Since the time he brought them out of Egypt with the blood of the Passover lamb. He had continually practiced that blood lesson of substitution so every time they took their lamb and went to the tabernacle they 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 raised this lamb that lamb was born in their flocks most of the time they in in a general setting they would take of that lamb and lambs are so cute I mean lambs are just so sweet and so cute and you just want to cuddle them. And so the innocence is displayed in that lamb. And they would take that lamb. And as that lamb gave its life, they practiced that lamb is dying for me. That lamb is dying in my place. That lamb is suffering the punishment I deserve. Do you see that they were practicing the lesson? of substitution in my place and so the lamb of those animals or the blood of those animals was not sufficient it was not powerful enough to remove sin it could only cover their sins it was a placeholder it could only cover their sins and so they were in this and they were in this cycle because their nature hadn't changed. They were still sinners by nature and they were bringing their offering to cover their sin each year and knowing that I've got to come back next year and cover my sin again. And every year I'm going to have to have this substitute to cover my sin because there's nothing I could give to God it's this lamb he has given me, the life of that lamb. God created the life of that lamb. Do you see the life, is, is, this is something God has given me that substitutes and takes my place and covers my sin. And so John the Baptist, he, he makes a declaration and we think, Ooh, how that not that just a great thing? But the people were like, what is he talking about? Behold, the lamb of God. Who takes away. What? Takes away. I haven't seen blood that takes away. Blood covers sin. What do you mean cover? Takes away. Takes away sin. The, The Lamb of God who takes away. Removes completely. So when he says it is not possible... That the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore means that is why. That is why when Jesus, when he comes into the world, y'all, we have the words of the Son of God as he laid down his omnipotence, as he set aside his omnipresence, as he, as he divulged himself of his omniscience and said, Sacrifice and offering, you wouldest not, but a body have you prepared for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. Can you underline no pleasure? No pleasure, God wasn't pleased. Yes, it covered the sins of the people. Yes, God could have a limited uh, interaction with the people, but it didn't please Him. It wasn't what He desired. It wasn't the relationship. You remember the example I used a few weeks ago of what it's like to visit visit a loved one in a prison? Can you imagine how difficult it is for a mother to have to visit her son or her daughter in the prison? And have to talk on a telephone through plastic glass to, the, to her son on the other side. And all she wants to do is hold him. And all she wants to do is, is tell him how much she loves him. All she wants to do but this limit, this, this separation, this, this interaction that's under supervision, this interaction that's limited is all that she can have. And so God said, I'm willing to give the animal sacrifices as a way to cover them just so I can have this limited, behind-the-glass visitation with my family. At least I'll get to see them. At least I'll get to talk to them. At least, even though I can't hold them the way I want to hold them, and even though I can't really reach out and love them and help them the way I want to help them, I'm willing to have it if it keeps me in contact with them. But here's Jesus, the Son of God, watching the Father interact with humanity in this limited prison visit, having to be behind the veil. We look and say, oh, behind the veil. God never wanted there to be a veil. God never wanted there to be a separation between us. God never wanted His glory to have to be hidden. He never wanted people to have to stay at a distance and only drop off their offering at the brazen altar and walk away. And here He is, His presence behind the veil. And all He wants is to be with His people. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Word... The Word who in the beginning created all things, all things by Him were made, and there is nothing that without Him was made. Here's the Word of God, the Son of God, watching the Father in this limited interaction, and He says, this is not what you want. Father, this is not what you want. This is not what you desire. This is not what pleases you. A body, you have prepared me to be a sacrifice. He said in burnt offerings and sacrifices, you've had no pleasure. What is he going to have pleasure in? The body of Jesus. The blood of Jesus the only body and blood worthy of redeeming humanity. No one on the earth was qualified to give their blood because everyone on the earth was separated from God because of Adam's sin and having to practice this limited interaction with God through the blood of the animal sacrifices. But he says... Look at verse 5 again. Sacrifice and offering, you wouldest not. Or look and say this, you don't want that. That's not what you want. Underline that, you wouldest not. That's not what you want. Underline verse 6, you have no pleasure in those offerings. And then he says this in verse 7. I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I come, let's pull the parentheses out, and I come to do your will, O God. He said, you're not pleased. You don't want that. I'm coming to do what you want. What does he want? He wants relationship with the people. I'm coming to establish your will. Above, verse 8, above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you wouldest not or you don't want that, neither have pleasure in that, which are offered by the law. Then he said, lo, or behold, look, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the first limited provision of the blood of the animals, he takes away the first that he may establish once and for all. It says in, in the book of Hebrews 9 and verse 12, by, he entered in once and for all. He doesn't have to do it every year. There's not a blood offering required every year because I've got the blood of Jesus and it's once and for all. It's an eternal redemption. It, it hasn't lost its, its value, its ability. It it says, to establish the second by the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sanctified, I'm going to read this from the Kenneth E. expanded translation. It says, we stand permanently set apart for God and His service. We stand permanently set apart. Apart, set apart for God, set apart for God in His service. Hallelujah. By the blood, by the offering of Jesus, by what He accomplished. The word, when it says He has purged us, His blood purges or cleanses, it is a word that doesn't mean to wash dirt off, it means to cleanse so completely that it is now set apart for holy use. The blood of Jesus cleanses and purges so completely that you are now worthy of serving God because of the blood. You're acceptable in the presence of God. Nobody's gonna stop you at the door and say, You need to work on some things. We all need to work on some things, but that's not stopping me from His presence. That's not stopping me from His presence. I've been sanctified by the blood. Not by anything I did, but by everything he did. We stand permanently set apart. So this is our redemption. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. I love to cook for hungry people. And when I, I, I just come in here and y'all are just like dish it up, Pastor Michelle. Dish it up. Put it on my plate. I'll eat it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now, if you only see what Jesus did on the cross as forgiveness of sins, you're missing a major, major part because the redemption is multifaceted. Redemption is my spirit has been changed from spiritual death to spiritual life. My nature has been changed from the nature of sin to the the divine nature of God. I have the love, the joy, the peace, the the character of God, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. All of those are available in my spirit, right? I am, I am, uh, this redemption is my spirit. It is My uh, uh, nature, the life, the nature, and it is also redeemed from the curse. Redemption from the curse. It says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You could say it this way. It says that we, Jesus was made sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, right? Why? So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He was made to be sin so that we could be made righteous. That's our nature change. It says that He was striped, wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon Him. By His stripes we're healed. So He received the stripes so that we could receive the healing. He, He... He was made poor with our poverty so that we could be made rich with his prosperity. Hallelujah. Do you see, he doesn't want it just to be one area of your life. He wants your whole life redeemed. He wants you to know every area of your life is redeemed. So he has redeemed us. How did he redeem us? Being cursed for us. The curse, he already carried it so you don't have to allow it one day. You, don't, you never have to be cursed another day in your life. You never have to allow any portion or part of the curse to have activity in your life. He was made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So you could say, he was made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come on us. That's what the next verse goes on to say. He was made a curse so that the blessing would come on us. Praise God. I quoted it, but I think we should back up to Isaiah 53 because this is is what is working in you when you stand in a place of authority against an operation of the curse in your life. You're not just saying it out of, well, I know I'm not supposed to be cursed. You're saying it with the full knowledge of how Jesus was cursed for you. I don't have to, if, you know, if somebody, if my husband went and paid something and then I went to pick it up and they said, you need to pay for it. No, I don't. My husband already paid for that. And they would say, well, you know, we want you to pay for it. No, I'm not paying for it. It's already been paid for. Why would I pay for something again that He's already paid for? Why would I allow the curse when He was already cursed for me? Why would I permit that activity of the curse? So that's how that that faith is the shield to resist it. I know that He was cursed for me. Isaiah 53 describes that curse. And I'm going to read... I want you to follow along in King James, but I'm going to read the young living and I'm going to tell you that when it says griefs and sorrows, almost every time in the original language and many of the translations, the original language describes griefs as sicknesses and sorrows as pains. So the young's living has it that way. Let me read this to you. Surely our sicknesses He has borne. He has borne. Do you remember John the Baptist? He takes away. Redemption wasn't just the sins, but everything sin brought with it. Everything Everything sin brought with it. Our sicknesses He has borne, and our pains He has carried them. And we have esteemed Him plagued. Smitten of God and afflicted. Do you know what that means? They looked at him and said, God must have put that on him. They looked at him and said, God has struck him. Isn't that what some of them said around the cross? He must have blasphemed. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus became cursed the curse that came on mankind jesus took it upon himself he took it upon himself in in isaiah let me back up and read you one verse here in isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 as many were astoning which is another an old an old latin word for astonished as many were astonished at you astonished and in in the original language it means they were so disgusted and repulsed and grossed out they were so repulsed it's like they were looking at the cross and all of a sudden the curse came on jesus and the women began to gag. Like, oh, I'm going to throw up just by looking at that. Why? It was so repulsive. What he looked like when the curse came on him, it astonished. They were, oh, he must have cursed God. He must be smitten of God. God is striking him. He must have done something. He must have cursed God. As many as were astonished at you, His visage or his appearance was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. When did that happen? On the cross when the curse came on him. When the curse came on him, it marred his whole appearance. Have you ever seen somebody who lived a rough life? Like, ooh! Can you imagine what it was like in that moment when the curse in one moment came upon the body of Jesus? That curse of humanity, that curse that entered in with sin, that curse, he was cursed. And it caused people to cover their faces. And it caused people to be so disgusted by what they saw that they thought God was striking him. We esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. The, the Young's Living, I'm going to go, back to go back to it. It says he is pierced for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement or the punishment of our peace, the punishment necessary to obtain our peace is on him, and by his bruise, there is healing to us. By his bruise is is the word wound. What happened to Jesus' back it was so extreme that each of those lashes di- bit into the flesh and just dug out more and more flesh until those 39 lashes were one huge, gaping, bleeding, massive wound. And by that wound, they weren't little bruises, little, little welts. No, his... Skin was ripped off his back. Muscle and flesh was ripped off his back. Blood was pouring out of the wound of his back. By that wound, by that massive bleeding, gory wound, that holy wound, that holy wound, by that wound, we are healed. By his wound, there is healing to us. There's healing to us. Hallelujah. The same power that removes sin removes the curse. These are all, sickness is part of the curse, it's part of the curse. Poverty is part of the curse. All of those things associated with the curse, I'm redeemed from all of them. I don't have to choose. I don't have to be selective. I don't have to say, Lord, if you'll just heal me, I don't care if I'm poor the rest of my I don't have to make any deals like that with God. I don't have to, to sacrifice financial stability to be able to talk God into doing something for me physically. No, He has redeemed my life from all destruction. All destruction I'm redeemed. So I want to show you one picture. Do I have time? Oh my, I can do it. I can do it. Tell your neighbor, she can do it. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. He, God gives us a picture in this chapter to illustrate so that we can see what the Old Testament people were practicing. We have this in reality in Christ. Leviticus 16 and I'm going to start in verse five. God is instructing Aaron. Uh, this was right after the death of Moses, uh, or uh, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And so he's telling uh, Moses uh, what to instruct Aaron to do about the offerings in the tabernacle. And he said, "You shall take, He shall take up the congregation." ...of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats for a sin offering... ...and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself... ...and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord... ...at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Gonna Going to cast lots, and out of those lots, we're going to choose one goat's going to be for this, and one goat's going to be for this other purpose. One for the Lord, one for the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. The scapegoat. How many have a center column reference in your Bible or some type of an indication that says A-Z-A-Z-E-L? It's like a name, Azazel or Azazel. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that's my my best take on it. It is a word that means the goat of separation. In the same way that God allowed the people to practice the lesson of substitution, substitution. And they, when they came to Jesus being a substitute for their sins, they had practiced for years knowing this lesson of substitution that this lamb is giving its life for me. In that same lesson, God provided another lesson, an additional lesson, that there is a separation lesson for you to learn. There's a separation lesson. There's a, there is a, a practicing of being separated from something. He says here, this other lot is for the goat of separation. There is a goat that's going to separate them from something. Verse 9, Aaron will bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. That was the first one. Is Jesus our sin offering? He is our sin offering. Well, let me tell you something else. He's also our separation. The goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat. Now, we use that terminology in our, our society today. If someone took the blame for a whole group of people, we say that person was the scapegoat. Yeah, they were the scapegoat. They were the one that got in trouble for that. They were the one that got demoted for that. They were the one that lost their job over that. They took the fall for everybody else. That came from this lesson. This scapegoat, verse 10, The goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement for him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 15, He shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So the shedding of the blood. Verse 20. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made an end... I said 20 and I just read 19. Y'all have mercy. Verse 20. When he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities Of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins. Putting them, what? Putting the sins, the transgressions, the iniquities. How is he putting them? By declaring them on this goat and laying on of hands. He's putting on this goat all of these iniquities. And what is he going to do with it? Send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear. Oh, we saw that word. We saw that word. Surely he has born. We saw that in Isaiah. Surely he has born. The word means to completely remove and carry away to another place. He's not just walking along beside you carrying your heavy load. No, He removed it. Look for it. It's gone. He completely removed it. Surely He has bore our sicknesses, taking them from off my plate, taking them from off my heavy load. I don't have a heavy load. He has borne my sicknesses. He has borne my sins. He has borne my curse. He has carried it and removed it. The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. Hallelujah. Removal. They practiced the lesson of separation. We've got to practice the lesson of separation. Separation. The curse is removed from me. It's removed from me. Anything under the curse, I'm going to identify it. I'm going to put my finger on it, and I'm going to move it out of my life. You get, 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 get. Not in my life. This, This is your, when it says king of kings, it's He's the one in dominion over everyone God has given dominion. And you have dominion to resist the curse. It will not leave if your life just based on me telling it to leave. I can help you as your pastor, but ultimately you've got to enforce on your territory, on your ground, on your life, you've got to enforce the dominion God gave you, just like I have to enforce in my life but the way we do that is practice that separation i'm separated i see jesus being cursed for me i see that with my faith i see jesus being cursed for me he was cursed with the curse in my place I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Do we we identify with that? Okay. I'm buried with him in baptism. Do I identify with that? He was cursed for me. I'm identifying with the fact he was cursed. I'm not going to live cursed. I'm not going to let it work in my life. This is how you see the separation that he bore Go back to Isaiah. We'll finish right here. Now we saw in chapter 53 in verse 4 that he bore our sicknesses. And the word means to completely remove and carry away. Verse, oh let's just begin in 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. But I've come to do your will. A body you have prepared me. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord. The word bruise means to crush completely, to disintegrate, to break into pieces. It pleased the Lord to break Jesus into pieces. It wasn't the breaking into pieces and watching Jesus suffer that pleased him, but the result of the suffering that pleased him. It pleased the Lord to crush him, to bruise him. Why? He hath put him to grief. And the original also says he has made him sick. I believe the Young's Living probably says it that way. I've got it here in my notes. He has, it, it pleased the Lord to crush him, to bruise him. He has made him sick. Why did it please him? When you make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed. Prolong His days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. You are the pleasure of the Lord. Your, your relationship with Him was worth it to Jesus. It was God was pleased because you're born again, as a result of it, because you're a new creature in Christ as a result of His being crushed. You're healed. And it pleased God to make him sick so that he could give you healing. Hallelujah. He will see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil... With the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many. There it is, the complete removal. The sin and the curse that came with the sin. The sin and the spiritual death that came with the sin. The sin and the, all, all of the destruction associated with it. He bore it. So that I could be free. So that you could be free.
1: I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the curse. For Jesus has ransomed me. For sickness, I have health. For poverty, wealth. Because Jesus has set me free. I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the curse because Jesus has ransomed me. For sickness I have held, for poverty well, because Jesus Has set me free. Can we sing it one more time? I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the curse. Because Jesus has ransomed me. For sickness I have health, for poverty well because Jesus has set me free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: I think Lillian B. Yeomans or her sister wrote those verses. But every time I think about how redeemed we are, that song just stirs me. I'm not under the curse. When the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, he's saying that we've got to say it. I'm redeemed. If we see it, if we see something of the curse encroaching, you've got to say something. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed from that. No. I've had times that I can feel symptoms trying to start in my body whether it be a sore throat or an earache or or something like that And, and I've learned if I'll catch it the moment that I recognize that first tinge and I'll say no in the name of Jesus I'm redeemed from that you back off my ear you back off my throat you get out of my body health is mine I claim it, and I lay hold of it with my faith, and I receive of it. Health is mine, and I refuse that. I might even go to bed with those symptoms feeling, but I wake up in the morning free of those symptoms. Why? Because I've resisted. That's how we do it. We resist. But what's our basis? He was cursed for me. Jesus, my scapegoat, the curse of all humanity, including mine, was laid on Him. He has removed it completely from my life.